Hello, welcome to episode 21 of the Burt's Books podcast. It's been a very odd week this week. Uh, first of all, the sun has disappeared and we've been left with a bit of wind and rain. And you might be able to hear the traffic outside driving through puddles. So if you can, I do apologise for that. But it's also been odd for other reasons. And I mean, they're, they're all odd at the moment, but it has been odder than normal. The missing parcel of books that I told you about last week turned up on Monday, which was great because it meant I was able to complete the subscription bundles, but I wasn't feeling quite right and I don't know why and I kept making mistakes. Nothing too major, just printing off the wrong letter, putting the wrong name on it or the wrong address label. So it took ages just to double check everything and get it all right and if I didn't I really do apologise. But then I slept for 13 hours on Tuesday night and I was all reset, which means I've had a really productive end to the week. Another thing that did make it odd, though, was I had a book that I started that I couldn't finish. It happens from time to time for all of us, I know, but it rarely happens to me. I'm really pretty good at picking up books that I think I will like or find something good in. So it did kind of throw me a bit. But I managed to read three other books this week, so reviews of them will all be coming up, along with all the latest news, an update on the weekly bestseller list, and, as it's the first week of a new month, an update on the best-selling books of the year so far. All that, and more, on the other side of this music. This week I wanted to start with the news because I think it's something that's really important and has uh, dominated uh, social media and and our thoughts this week and it has been uh, the news about the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously this all started with the death of George Floyd in America but it's led to protests around the world and discussions as to what people can do to make things better. When I first started Burt's, I wanted to create an ethical, diverse bookshop. And I have been championing LGBTQ plus books and feminist books, but I've been feeling for a while like the one area I wasn't quite doing justice to were books by and about the BAME community. And partly, that was because I was worried about offending. I'm not part of that community and I have seen enough well-intentioned people run into problems because they've not understood something well enough and have caused offence. Take Blackout Tuesday, for example, where everyone started posting black squares on their Instagram to show support. Some people were encouraging others to do this. Some were asking that they don't. Others were just thankful for the support but wanted words, or in this case black squares, followed up with actions. It's felt like there wasn't a right, one right thing to do. And that whatever I did do could cause some offence. I also didn't want to create a BME category on the website because I felt like it would feel like othering those books. Segregation is not a word that you want to bring back into the race conversation. And nor did I want to be seen to be profiting from the horrible horrible stuff that's going on out there at the moment and all the protests so it felt like whatever I would do I would offend someone and then I saw someone put it quite simply that doing nothing is worse than doing something wrong 
If I do something wrong and someone calls me out on it, I can apologise, correct myself and move on. I will learn and I will grow. And if I do nothing, I will stay in a state of ignorance. And that is the same for all of us. So I have created a BOME category on the website. Uh, and again, not to other but the books, but to celebrate them, to help people find them. There was a report this week that only 4% of the publishing industry are black. And that is, it's just not good enough. The best way to change the world, unfortunately, is through money. And it doesn't necessarily mean spending money and lots and lots of it. But corporations, governments change when the money moves. And if I can be part of that by pushing these books onto a wider audience, helping people find them, then the publishing industry may start publishing more of them. And in order to do that, they will start hiring more black and ethnic minority talent. It's only a little thing that I can do, but I can only do that so that's what I'm doing. I'm not including books that merely feature a person of colour in a supporting role but if a white person has written a book that is overtly about racism then I'm including it and that's why you'll find uh, You Will Be Safe Here by Damien Barr because it's a book about the impact of British imperialism in South Africa. So it has made me think a lot about the British history that the sort of the history of my country and what it has led to in the modern world. So it was a book that got me thinking about racism and the impacts of it. And so that even when we think, well, that was a long time ago, the effects are still being felt. So that's a good one to read um, for somebody who is ignorant on their on their own, their own country's history. Another book to read would be Superior by Angela Saini. That is um, a, a non-fiction book that details the the myths about race and the, uh, the misbe- misbelief that we are all different races when we're not. We are one race. We are the human race. If you do have any feedback on any of that, then please do let me know in the usual places. Email me, bert at bertsbooks.co.uk, or send me a tweet or a Facebook message uh, where you can find me on all the social medias as bertsbooks at bertsbooks. First book I read this week was Dear Child by Romy Hausman, and I actually read it last week, but I didn't want to put a fifth book in last week's podcast, which is just as well, because I would have only had two for this week. And it is part of the bundles for this month, so uh, one or two of you will have received a copy in the post by now, hopefully. Let me tell you what it's about, and then I'll tell you a bit more about how I felt about it. A windowless shack in the woods. Lena's life and that of her two children follow the rules set by their captor, the father. Meals, bathroom visits, study time are strictly scheduled and meticulously observed. He protects his family from the dangers lurking in the outside world and makes sure that his children will always have a mother to look after them. One day, Lena manages to flee, but the nightmare continues. It seems as if her tormentor wants to get back what belongs to him. And then there is the question whether she really is the woman called Lena, who disappeared without a trace over 13 years ago. 
The police and Lena's family are all desperately trying to piece together a puzzle that doesn't quite seem to fit. This book is actually translated from the original German, where in Germany in 2019 it was one of the best-selling books of the year. It, you can almost tell it's German. I mean, obviously, it, you can tell it's German because it's set in Germany and people are called Herr and Frau. Uh, but the, the style of writing feels quite efficient and what you might associate with the German language. Uh, so, and it works, actually, for this. It's told from the point of view of three people. There's Lena herself, her daughter Hannah, and Matthias. Matthias, I don't know how you quite pronounce that. But he is Lena's father and Hannah's grandfather. And it starts at the end. This is what the sort of book proudly tells people on the sort of front cover, that most thrillers finish... Uh, you know, with the the escape, whereas actually this one starts with the escape. The man who's caught them, dead. Hannah has travelled with Lena to the hospital, leaving behind her younger brother. They end up in a... Matthias has gone to the hospital with his wife Karen because they've been told that their daughter may have been found. And then I don't really want to talk about too much more because it will ruin it, I think. Uh, the, the developments that come through are best read, I feel. But what it works quite well at is hiding the truth from from the reader. Uh, Lena herself is in hospital. She's not well. Um, she's been actually hit by a car. And so she's a bit groggy, a bit concussed at first. Hannah is a young child. Uh, She's been brought up in captivity. So we don't necessarily know that the way she's describing the world is the right way. Uh, Is it just been viewed in this way because of her limited worldview? And then Matthias is hot-headed. I think it's the best way to describe him. He he releases information to the journalists uh, because he wants to keep his daughter's disappearance prominent. But he doesn't always think those actions through. And so what le- this leads to is three characters who are all trying to reconcile themselves with what happened. And obviously the journalists, the press, they're all very interested in in the story but so are the police uh, for various reasons so it is a book that i found really really sort of twisty and turny it it leaves you sort of guessing right to the end as to the identities of everybody involved and what crimes you think they like they may have committed but actually were committed by somebody else and some of them were not part of the main overall sort of plot some of them were and yeah it's it's one of those I think actually the blurb says it quite well when it says it's a puzzle that doesn't quite seem to fit all the way through there's something nagging at you that this isn't quite right there's something not right here and then when you find out what that is it's sort of like a little roller coaster 
dive down into the denouement of the story. So uh, a definite book to read if you're after a nice thriller. Uh, it's Dear Child by Romy Hausman and it is available now. You will remember that last week I asked you who your favourite Mr Man was. It was a thinly veiled attempt to promote my weekly appearances on BBC Radio Wiltshire on a Monday night talking to Tim Weeks about books and audiobooks. Mr Weeks's favourite book by uh, Roger Hargreaves was Mr Muddle, whereas I favoured Mr Tickle. So I thought I would put it to a vote. So on Friday we started a tournament on Twitter and we managed to reduce 48 of the Mr Men down to 18. And I know what you're thinking, there's 49 Mr Men. Well, I didn't include Walter the Worm because I didn't have enough space. And also, here's the only Mr Man who doesn't have a, the word Mr at the front of his name. So I've decided he doesn't count in this vote. We've reduced it down to 18, and six of those will go through to the semi-final on Sunday the 6th of June, leaving just two in the final on Monday the 7th. Uh, as I record this, we're voting on those 18 to get it to six, and it looks like that the semi-finals will include Mr Tickle, Mr Bump, Mr Happy, Mr Small, Mr Topsy Turvy, and Mr Grumpy, though it is early days, so things could change. What I'm happy about is that Mr Tickle so far seems to be advancing further than Mr Muddle, uh, so that puts me one up on Tim. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we will do a Little Miss tournament. But this week, I want to find out who your favourite indie publisher is. And I think I've talked about this before. But the reason for that is that, at the moment, I've got a separate category on the website for Arenda Books. And I'm going to add ones for Knights of and Jacaranda Books, both of whom specialise in books by uh, minorities. But I thought whilst I'm adding those, let's find out if there are any brilliant indies that I should add as well. So if there's anyone else out there you'd recommend, then do let me know on Twitter at Burt's Books or email me Bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. And if you want to take part in that vote for Mr Men, please head to the Burt's Books Twitter account now to place your vote. Unless it is past nine o'clock on Monday the 7th of June, because then the vote will be over. And you may still be charged. That's not true. I'm not going to take any of your money. Well, unless you want to buy a book. The next book that came uh, this week uh, was The Big Chill by Doug Johnston. And this is the second in a series of books about the Skelf women who, in Edinburgh, running a private investigator slash funeral home. And... I was very excited because uh, I read the first one last year and it was a bundle choice and actually Arenda Books very kindly allowed me to have some copies early so a lot of you received this as part of your uh, bundles uh, in December. What's the second one about? Well, here goes. Running private investigator and funeral home businesses means trouble is never far away. And the Skelf women take on their most perplexing killing cases yet in book two of this darkly funny, devastatingly tense and addictive new series. Haunted by their past, the Skelf women are hoping for a quieter life. 
but running both a funeral director's and a private investigation business means trouble is never far away. And when a car crashes into the open grave at a funeral that matriarch Dorothy is conducting, she can't help looking into the dead driver's shadowy life. Will Dorothy uncovers a dark truth at the heart of Edinburgh society, her daughter Jenny and granddaughter Hannah have their own struggles. Jenny's ex-husband Craig is making plans that could shatter the scale for women's lives, and the increasingly obsessive Hannah has formed a friendship with an elderly professor that is fast turning deadly. But something even more sinister emerges when a drumming student of Dorothy's disappears and suspicion falls on her parents. The Scalf women find themselves sucked into an unbearable darkness. But could the real threat be to themselves? Okay, so first up, you need to read A Dark Matter if you haven't read it yet. Uh, nothing I'm going to say here will really spoil that, but it is very much a sequel to that story. So, uh... I think you could read this without having read A Dark Matter, but you can't then go back and read A Dark Matter because it will ruin it for you. One of the things I loved about this, well, there's quite a few things actually, but one of them was the sort of, the private investigator aspect of it means that there's lots of little cases, uh, but each of the three women that you see this book through from get involved in all of them at some point. They all have different skills and, and things that they are good at, so they sort of share the work around. And in a way, it feels like uh, the Jackson Brody novels by Kate Atkinson, because her books feature uh, a private detective, Jackson Brody, uh, but he ends up going through lots of smaller cases that then sort of all come together at the end. And that's what happens in these Doug Johnston books. But what I think is excellent about them is that we've got three really strong, really different women uh, as the lead characters here. And Dorothy in particular is excellent because she's 70 plus, but she still has a sex life. To some extent, uh, she's grieving the death of her husband. That is not a spoiler for the first book. He dies on the first page. But, so she hasn't actually got a sex life at the moment, but she wants one. And she's 70 plus, and it's all too easy for us to write off that sort of section of of, the, of society. You know, at 70, her husband's dead. Oh, well, never mind. Pop yourself in, into a cardigan, and grab a cup of tea and sit and watch Countdown. Actually, it's not the end of her life. She's got things to do. She's got a vibrancy that um, really keeps you wanting to read about her. Uh, the fact is, she actually drums as well. She teaches people to drum. And that's sort of her main story is because one day, uh, one of the young girls doesn't turn up to her drumming lesson. And so she starts to worry about her. Jenny's story... Uh, still sort of centres around Craig, her ex-husband, and uh, some of the cases that she's looking at, including the uh, one that was mentioned in the blurb, which is the uh, the driver of the car that crashes into an open grave. But she's dealing with being a middle-aged woman, uh, I guess, and, and what that means for her... And, you know, she's got a daughter that's grown up and doesn't really need her now. She's got this ex-husband who's caused all sorts of problems. She's got a new partner. 
and she started this new job and she's working with her mum and yeah she's just struggling to find her place in the world and then there's Hannah Hannah was the one who I felt wasn't as well drawn in the first book I think a lot of the first book focused on Dorothy and Jenny and from the plot point of view I think there were good reasons for that but Hannah really does start to be developed here uh, and she's a uh, lesbian she's in a relationship with Indy one of the women who works at the funeral home with them and Actually, that relationship is developed a bit more. Indy was sort of neglected a bit in the in the first book, but but their relationship is developed as well, and she's struggling to come to terms with the events of the first book, and um, and her place in life. So this is really about three women trying to find their way in the world. Uh, but it does it, you know. It's funny. It's mysterious. And it's written really well. I sort of struggle, I hesitate slightly there because there are two instances uh, where uh, one of the women notices the arse of another woman. And I think that I can't say as a woman that they don't do that because I'm not a woman. So, but it felt like that when the first time it happens, it felt slightly out of place. I I feel like that isn't how uh, Jenny would have thought. But she sees this woman as sort of a rival, I guess. You know, she's checking her out. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't feel quite right to me. The second time was actually Hannah uh, looking at her girlfriend's ass. Um, and that's okay, because... She would notice that, and she might think about that. But I think just after the first instance, uh, it came across as a bit, oh, really? We're looking at another female ass? Uh, And I just wonder whether that should have been included. It's the moment that it makes you realise it was written by a male author. Uh, But they're two tiny moments, tiny, tiny, tiny. And uh, they don't ruin the book, but it did just make you think, ooh, hello. Uh, So there is that, but... Forget about that. Um, It's a great book. Uh, It's out on the 20th of August, uh, 2020. So if you haven't yet read A Dark Matter, you've now got time to order yourself a copy of that and read it. And if you have, then you can pre-order The Big Kill by Doug Johnston now. And you can make up your own mind about whether or not Jenny would have commented on that arse. My guest this week on the Page Master Quiz is Cormac. Cormac, uh, tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Hi, uh, I'm Cormac. I am from a sleepy little city no one's ever heard of called Durham. Uh, Well, I went to university there, but I've stayed there since my partner's up here. Um, I currently work as an analyst for one of the UK banks. basically involves fighting with Excel all day, which is, uh, you know, not fun, but... Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Uh, And when you're not fighting with Excel, do you read a lot? Uh, I do read a lot, but not very much fiction. Um, I mainly read non-fiction. I'm currently getting through a big biography of Robert Moses. Um, Robert A. Caro wrote it. Uh, One of my friends introduced me to him. Um, people have either never heard of him or swear he's the best author ever. 
as, but so far I'm reading a 1500 page biography of a guy I've never heard of in a city I don't really care about and I am gripped so uh, I suppose I can see what they mean. Well there's a recommendation. Um, I'd recommend it. Uh, so thank you for uh, taking part in the page master quiz this week. Just for taking part you get one of these uh, Burt's Books pin badges which is very exciting. Oh, very rare collector's items, uh, silver plated, I might add. I not for uh, on eBay. <laughs> I don't think you'll get much. Uh, so you, I will ask you 10 questions. Each question is worth one point and five seconds in the final round. And the final round, you'll get choice of two categories and you will be asked to name as many books, authors or characters that apply to that category as you can. So if you are ready, we will begin. Ready as I'll ever be. Question one. Which Agatha Christie novel was made into a 2017 film starring Kenneth Branagh? Um, Murder on the Orient Express. Correct. I'll take it. Question two. Aldous Huxley wrote which 1932 dystopian novel? A Brave New World. Correct. Question three. Which professor is the head of Gryffindor House in the Harry Potter series of books? Minerva McGonagall. Correct. Question four. Who writes the Vera Stanhope series of crime novels? heard of that. I think Fenella White, I think Fenella White, uh, and something. Um, uh, Anne, Anne, uh, Anne. Anne writes it. Anne does, for Anne. <laughs> Anne does write it, Anne Cleves is the author, and I will give oh, I you, know. I will give you half a point for that, because I gave half a point to uh, Alice last week for Suzanne, instead of Suzanne Collins. I'll take it. Question five. Bad Dad, Slime, and Ratburger are all books by which children's author? Uh, David Williams. Correct. <laughs> which, uh, question six. Which former model has released biographies which include Pushed to the Limit, A Whole New World, and Being Jordan? Jordan? I need her correct name, please. Oh, Katie Price. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Question seven. Puffin specialises in children's books and is an imprint in which publishing house? Um, I wouldn't know. Uh, name of publishing house. HarperCollins. Penguin. Oh, the... Yeah, that does make sense, actually. <laughs> Question eight. Which horror writer is sometimes known as Aaron Wolf? Um, you seem to like Stephen King answers, but I don't know if that's right. It is not Stephen King. Uh, it oh, is Dean yeah. Koontz. Ah. Uh, Question nine. Which last name links these first names? Peter... Henry and Marlon. 
I haven't got a clue. Davison. They're all Jameses. Oh. James, Harry James, and Marlon James. Question well, you 10. Know. Question 10, your final one. Uh, Wick Year saw the publication of The Birthday Boys by Beryl Bainbridge, American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis, and Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. Um... 1991. You are spot on. Well done. <laughs> 91. That gives you a very impressive six and a half points out of ten. Well done. I think I deserved about three of them. <laughs> it will give you 32 seconds in the final round. And you will get the choice of two categories. I will pick at random from this series of envelopes. And uh, each envelope has a set of initials on the front. That is all the clue you're going to get. So I can give you WS or IF. What do you think they might um... be? What are you hoping for? I have no idea. I didn't love either. Uh, let's go for IF, whatever that is. Okay. You have chosen the IF category, and you will have 32 seconds to name as many uh, books in this category from the moment that I finish reading it out. So if you okay. are ready, we will begin. Please name as many Ian Fleming books in 32 seconds as you can. Oh, geez. Um, GoldenEye, Casino Royale, From Russia With Love. I'm just naming Bond films now. Um, uh, the, oh, what's the... Um, Moonraker? Um, the, spy, the Spy Who Loved Me? Um, oh, dear. Um, Goldfinger. Go, um, uh, oh, this is hard and pressure, isn't it? Um, oh. That is time, I'm afraid. That was, that so, was about four. That was, you said six. I'm giving you five. Golden Eye wasn't a book by uh, Ian Fleming. Um, answers that you could have had, there were, um, there were about 17, 18, so it's not oh, a huge not, list. Um, most of them were Bonds, Fundable, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, From Russia With Love, but there was also books such as The Diamond Smugglers, Brilling Cities, and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I did not know that. There you go, you learn something new. You learn something new every day, don't you? Exactly. Uh, so that gives you 11 and a half points. So you get six and a half from the previous round and five from this. And that puts you in second place overall on the- I'm very board. happy with that, I'll take that. Congratulations, well done. Thank, uh, thank, you, much. thank you for joining in. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again in December. I can only hope. <laughs> and last for this week is Eight Detectives by Alex Pavesey. And this one, uh, yeah, well, let me just read the blurb to you first, and then I'll tell you why I wanted to read it. All murder mysteries follow a simple set of rules. Grant McAllister, an author of crime fiction and professor of mathematics, once sat down and worked them all out. 
but that was 30 years ago. Now, he's living a life of seclusion on a quiet Mediterranean island, until Julia Hart, a sharp, ambitious editor, knocks on his door. His early work is being republished, and together the two of them must revisit those old stories. An author hiding from his past, and an editor probing inside it. But as she reads the stories, Julia is unsettled to realise that there are parts that don't make sense. Intricate clues that seem to reference a real murder, one that's remained unsolved for 30 years. If Julia wants answers, she must triumph in a battle of wits with a dangerously clever adversary. But she must tread carefully. She knows there's a mystery, but she doesn't yet realise there's already been a murder. This one piqued my interest uh, a couple of months ago, actually, when I first saw it online. And it's because of that first line, all murder mysteries follow a simple set of rules. And I feel like that's right. They're, they're quite formulaic and it's often not uh, a surprise as to what happens, how it comes about, but you just need to know who it was that did it. Uh, so anything new to the genre, any new changes to the format always make me quite interested. Uh, I think if you think about the Scream movies where they were quite referential of the horror genre, uh, it's a bit like that for me. Is I don't want to see the old horror films. I, I've seen those tropes over and over again. And whilst they are all in, you know, enjoyable, they become fairly predictable. So what I wanted and always want is a, is a new idea, original format. So it's why I liked the Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton so much, because that was sort of an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery, but with this very modern twist, almost a, a quantum leap-type episode of an Agatha Christie novel. This one says early on that it might differ from the norm because of those rules. He's worked them out uh, as to what crime fiction rules are. So I thought, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, this is going to reference previous murder mysteries. And it does obliquely. But what it actually does is tell you the seven stories that he's written in his collection. So you actually read them all the way through. They are seven short stories that he wrote. And they're all murder mysteries. And each one illustrates one of the rules that he is talking to Julia about. He's written a thesis on this whole thing. He's He was a mathematics professor and, you know, he's he's pulled it all together and he, he's made it all quite technical as to the way that murder mysteries are written. That's not to say that all murder mysteries are the same, but, it, you know, it has to have this, it has to have this. But it, it needs a detective, but the detective could be... But there's no rule against it to say that the detective couldn't be the victim as well, or even the perpetrator. And in fact, it may not have a detective at all, apart from the reader. But in but in that instance, the reader is a detective, so there is still... The detective role is filled. So all of these rules, sort of, they do make sense. Um, maybe if I was to sit and think about it a bit more, I could come up with... A few more rules, and maybe a, a, a murder mystery expert could as well. But that isn't the point. The point is that there are these seven murder mystery short stories. But, I hear you cry, the book is called Eight Detectives. And that is because Julia slash Grant McAllister are the eighth story. 
So what you find here is eight short stories woven together in that the seven uh, written by Grant McAllister actually all feed into the final one between uh, Julia and Grant. And the way it works is you get one short story and then a bit, a conversation between them, and then a second short story and the second conversation between them. So you work out these, uh, what the rules are, and then also what these sort of inconsistencies are that Julia has started to find within the books. And then you start looking for the inconsistencies yourself uh, rather than trying to concentrate on the murder mystery element of those short stories, you're starting to think, oh, I wonder what it will be that Julia will um, highlight to Grant McAllister uh, out of this short story. And I never did spot it. Uh, I thought I had a couple of times, but I didn't. And that's not to say there were inconsistencies that weren't explained. They were inconsistencies until they were explained later in that short story. And then I got to that explanation and I thought, well, hang on, what inconsistency is Julia going to talk about? And then she spots something and I hadn't even clocked. Oh, it's just very, very clever. And there is that eight story, which is sort of hinted at throughout. But there are couple of bits I don't think that you would see coming and I think it almost breaks the rules that it sets out uh, for instance um, he says Grant McAllister says that the rules are that at a certain point the reader must have been given everything to work out what is going on so for instance if there is a ghost in the story and the ghost is the murderer well, that's okay. You know, you can have those supernatural elements to the murder mystery, but the reader must have been introduced to the concept of uh, the supernatural beings before the end. So basically, the suspect must be someone that the reader knows. So if it's the ghost of a previous occupant of a stately home, he has to have been mentioned, and this has to be set in a world where it's clear that ghosts potentially could exist. But I think he breaks one of those rules because I think there's something that comes up at the end that isn't signposted throughout. But I'd have to go back and check. Uh, it, it could be... It's certainly referenced, but I don't know if I would have worked it out or could have worked it out. So um, that's something to go back and look at. But actually really quite a satisfying end and... The way it all pulled together was quite good as well. I liked the fact that they were short stories, but there was this added element to them. So, yeah, it's just a, a fun murder mystery book. In fact, it's, it's eight murder mysteries. Uh, so it's eight times the fun. So Eight Detectives by Alex Peversy is also out on the 20th of August, and you can pre-order that now. It's time for the charts. Last week saw The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins steal the top spot from Joe Wicks, the second week in a row when a new release has debuted straight at the top. Now, there are two new releases this week, so I wonder if either of them can do the same and make it the triple. The first is The Art of Resilience by Ross Edgley. Now, this is quite a long blurb, so stay with me. Ross Edgley has been studying the art of resilience for years applying all he has learned to become the first person in history to swim around Great Britain. 
breaking multiple world records on the way. Now Ross focuses on mental strength, stoicism and the training needed to create an unbreakable body. Edgley famously ran a marathon pulling a 1.4 ton car and climbed a rope the height of Everest. After living with Yambushi warrior monks in Japan and partaking in shamanic pain rituals with fire ants in the Amazon jungle. On his epic 1800 mile journey around Great Britain which lasted 157 days, Ross swam through giant jellyfish, arctic storms, haunted whirlpools and polluted shipping lanes, going so hard and so fast his tongue fell apart. His previous book, The World's Fittest Book, was a Sunday Times number one bestseller and explored the science of physical fitness. Now, in The Art of Resilience, Ross uses his swim experience and other amazing endurance feats where he managed to overcome seemingly insurmountable pain, hardship and adversity to study the performance of extreme athletes, military and fitness specialists and psychologists to uncover the secrets of mental fitness and explore the concept of resilience, persistence, valour and a disciplined mindset in overcoming adversity. Whew, that was a long sentence. This groundbreaking book represents a paradigm shift in what we thought the human body and mind were capable of and will give you a blueprint to become a tougher, more resilient and ultimately better human, whatever the challenge you face. Speaking of challenges, I am going to issue one now to anybody who writes blurbs for books. Please read them out loud and if you can't keep your breath whilst reading them, you have written a sentence that is far too long. Just pop a full stop in there somewhere and separate your thoughts a little bit, please. The second new release, and let's find out if uh, this one has any overrunning sentences, is the 26th DCI Banks book from Peter Robinson. It's called Many Rivers to Cross. A skinny young boy is found dead, his body carelessly stuffed into a wheelie bin. Detective Superintendent Alan Banks and his team are called to investigate. Who is the boy and where did he come from? Was he discarded as rubbish or left as a warning to someone? He looks Middle Eastern, but no one on the east side of state has seen him before. As the local press sees upon an illegal immigrant angle and the national media the story of another stabbing, the police are called to investigate a less newsworthy death. A middle-aged heroin addict found dead of an overdose in another estate scheduled for redevelopment. Banks finds the threads of each case seem to be connected to the other and to the dark side of organised crime in East Vale. Does another thread link to his friend Zelda, who is facing her own dark side? The truth may be more complex, or much simpler than it seems. So will either of those go to the straight to the top, or will Suzanne Collins stay there for a second week? Or could something else rise to the top spot? There is, as ever, only one way to find out, and that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market panel chart. At number 10, down 2, is Lockdown by Peter May. New in at 9, it's Many Rivers to Cross, the latest one from Peter Robinson. Up 2 at 8 is The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell. And this week's highest new entry is The Art of Resilience by Ross Edgley at 7. It is no move at six for Blue Moon by Lee Child, while slipping one place to five this week is Slime by David Williams. And down three to four is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, that Hunger Games prequel. Where the Cruel Dads Sing by Delia Owens is up four places to its highest position at three, when it's no move at two for The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Mackesy, which means that up two places 
Returning to the top spot is Normal People by Sally Rooney. It will be interesting to see if Normal People can hold on to that top spot or if something else will take over. Last week did see a lot of new releases come out on Thursday, so we could find that a big push for one of those as it has a full week pushes it to number one. Or maybe something like Charlie Mackesy will return to the top spot. Or maybe normal people will still be there for another week. Now we are well into a new month now, so it's time to look at the chart of the year. As with previous months, I am still excluding the World Book Day books, but as it stands, only three of them would appear in the top ten anyway. Now, after a couple of months uh, of not a lot of movement in that top ten, we've got two new entries. Neither are particularly a huge surprise, but one of them we haven't spoken about at all in 21 episodes of the podcast. What could it be? I hear you screaming at your phones, at your computers, whatever you're using to listen to this podcast. Well, there is only one way to find out. At 10, it's the first appearance inside the overall top 10 this year for Adam Kay's phenomenal bestseller, This Is Going To Hurt. Down one place at 9 is The Beast of Buckingham Palace by David Walliams. And new in at 8, breaking that 100,000 unit barrier, is Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. No move at seven for Bridget Collins' The Binding, but down one at six is Kate Atkinson's Big Sky. The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell is up one place at five, while at four it's no move for Pink of Nom, a hundred slimming homestyle recipes by Kay Featherstone and Kate Allenson. Also, no move at three is The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel, and there's no move either at two for The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Maxey which means that Pink Jim Nom Everyday Light by Kay Featherston and Kay Allenson retains the top spot for what is now the fifth month. So, no movement at all in the top four, but across the last month, Charlie Maxey has sold twice the amount of Pink Jim Nom, so potentially gaining on them next month, who knows. Also, lingering outside the top ten are The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides and the current number one Normal People by Sally Rooney. With a five-week month coming up, the return of bookshops to the high street and a gifting season in the run-up to Father's Day, we could see some significant shifts over the next few weeks as we reach the halfway point of the year. So make sure you come back at the beginning of July to find out if Pink Nom is still at the top or if something else has made its way there. That is everything for this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening to me waffle on. Do check out burtsbooks.co.uk if you need a new book. But bear with me if it takes a little longer at the moment. The supply chain is still trying to sort itself out after coronavirus uh, lockdown uh, closed it completely. In the meantime, I would love to hear from you about anything that you have book related. So what you're reading, what you want to read, what you're looking forward to what you're writing, if you're a writer, do get in touch on social media at Burt's Books or via email bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. Those are also the places to go if you want to take part in next week's Page Master quiz. Speaking of quizzes, it is my turn to host the Family Zoom quiz this week, so I'd better go and write some questions. I will speak to you all very, very soon. <laughs>